It's good to see each one of you here tonight. Let's go ahead and stand if you would. Let's turn to page 294. Page number 294, My Savior's Love. Let's sing. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall good to be back in God's house. Amen. And I know sometimes your brain doesn't work like mine. That's probably not a bad thing. Uh, But when I was singing that song, I couldn't help but to think of the message this morning, and it sure means a little bit more, doesn't it? And boy, sure thankful for our Savior and His humility, and what a start this morning to the uh, fall revival. And so appreciated that message from Brother Alexander, and uh, just trust and pray God's still working in our hearts, amen, and sure looking forward uh, to tonight. Well, sure good to have you here. Good to see Brother Randy Crawford uh, over there and been praying for him, and uh, sure thankful he's doing better. Let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, tonight. We do have some announcements and things. I'll get right to it, and then we'll continue on with our song service tonight. I'm going to ask Brother Steve Parker if you'd open us in prayer tonight, brother.
Amen. Amen. Why don't you be seated uh, tonight and uh, sure appreciate our folks uh, working behind the scenes and getting the bulletins ready for this month. And so we were able to get those out uh, this morning. If you didn't get one, make sure uh, that you do. There's quite a bit of information and things on there. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time and stuff and announcements and stuff with things coming up later in the month. But I did just want to mention the ladies meeting uh, on uh, October the 25th is at 7 o'clock, and it's also a baby shower for Miss Shelby Dawsing, and so Brother Matt and Miss Shelby Dawsing are expecting a baby girl, and so uh, they are uh, registered. She is registered at uh, Amazon and Target, and then also wanted to, uh, again, congratulate uh, Lawrence and Mayuko Settles, little June Marie uh, Eureko, uh, was born September the 25th, and wanted to mention that they, too, are registered on Amazon, or uh, of course they said diapers and wipes are always appreciated. That's a good thing to have when you have kids around, amen. Uh, of course, uh, we are starting our, uh, we started our fall revival uh, today, and so again, don't forget about, and I know most of you already know this, but Monday through Friday, uh, be uh, seven o'clock each night, our services, and then of course tomorrow night, we're going to have, hopefully, Lord willing, a, a house full of preachers and their families in here. And uh, sure looking forward uh, to that. And so be kind of starting our Midwest Baptist Preachers meeting. And so we're going to have a dessert fellowship uh, right after uh, the service over in the E.J. Watson Gymnasium. And I did want to mention that if you did uh, sign up uh, to bring a dessert for that, you do need to have that here tomorrow evening, uh, at least 15 minutes before the service. Just take it over to the kitchen uh, in the fellowship hall there, and then that way our ladies can make sure to get those things set up and ready to go, because we sure want to be a blessing to those men of God, amen, as they come in. Then, of course, Tuesday morning, if you'd like to be here for the services, you're sure more than welcome to. We have coffee and donuts at 8 o'clock, and then the services start at 9 o'clock, and they'll continue on till around noon, uh, probably around 12 or 12.30, we'll wrap up uh, with the preaching, and then head over to the E.J. Watson Gymnasium, going to have Zarda's barbecue brought in, and uh, be able to feed those uh, those men and their families, and sure want to invite you to come, be a part of that. Uh, you're more than welcome to stay and eat, uh, as well as, uh, you know, serve and help and things like that. I know we'll sure need all the help that we can get, and so if you'd like to be a part of that, you sure uh, can. And then, of course, getting right back at it uh, uh, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, and, uh, and then, of course, 7 o'clock each night. And did want to also mention, too, Wednesday night, uh, there'll be no buses, uh, as well as no kids' classes and stuff downstairs. We're in revival, amen. And so let's be up here and be here for the preaching of God's Word. So we do have some other things coming up later on in October, but again, as already been mentioned, let's focus on right now, amen, and sure looking forward to that. Okay, brother, come on ahead. If you would, take your hymn book and turn to page 444. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We'll sing all three verses together tonight. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. 
perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, raising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Amen. Well, what a great day it's been. Amen. Let's go ahead and take up our offering tonight. I'm going to ask Brother Micah Quinlan if you would pray for the offering tonight, please. Would you stand with me one last time, please? Turn to page 377. Page 377, set my soul afire, Lord. We'll sing all three verses tonight. <clears throat> Lift it up with me on the first verse. Set my soul afire, Lord, for thy holy word. Burn it deep within me. Let thy voice be Yeah. 
should be our prayer every day. Amen. Praise the Lord. Great singing. You may be seated just before the message tonight. Uh, Madison Stewart's going to sing a special tonight.
that and think man I hope our young people are listening and I'm thinking I hope I'm listening because I still need to be in the center of his will and so do you and so I sure appreciate that well I wanted to mention tonight of course we are uh, each night Monday night uh, through fr- Friday night we'll take up an offering and certainly want to be a blessing uh, to the man of God as he's been a blessing to us and so uh, of course tonight's our Sunday uh, services and so uh, you know, things that come in like tithes and missions and all that. But Monday through Friday, anything outside of that that's not marked, we'll make sure that uh, we take care of the man of God. Amen. And I did want to mention this. I'm not going to take a offering on the Tuesday morning of the preacher's meeting because I just I don't want it to be where the preachers are, feel like they're burdened. We want to be a blessing to them. All right. And so um, just uh, wanted to mention that. All right, Brother Ted. Fling it down again, brother. I guess that's the theme for the week. Buckle up. <laughs> Amen. The buckle up revival. The annual buckle up revival. Amen. You'll have to get another barn burner next year. Amen. To buckle up. What a blessing that song was. I can't help but think. <laughs> I spent all those years on the road, and after 23 years, I'd still stand up in a pulpit, 24 years, and I'd see God put a song together and there's no way she could have known what I was preaching on and it just reminds you that he's here with us and you've prayed for him to direct and meet the need and he is what a precious family amen that was a sweet song sister thank you that that's exactly how I sing it too amen no I'm, if you ever heard me sing, you got preached bad you ought to hear me sing amen if you got a if you got a rodent problem just let me sing and they'll be gone amen but no I I really appreciate that. That was it just, just spot on exactly what I'm going to be dealing with tonight. Take your Bible, turn to the book of Job. The book of Job. 
And we're going to be in chapter number one. Told preacher I need a gallon of water. He took me out for Mexican. We ate more chips than ought to be legal. Amen. And good night. I think I need a salt detox. Amen. Saline or something. Amen. But uh, fellowship was sweet, and it's just been a blessing. All the feedback, and I'm thankful. I really felt like I was preaching to an audience that wanted to hear today, and that makes a difference. Amen. Job chapter number one, I want to start reading in verse one. Please stay, just stay seated. We're going to read kind of a lengthy passage. And part of the reason is I just want to refresh your mind about this first chapter and half of the second chapter. And then we're not going to be able to keep going back to every scripture. So I'm going to ask you to pay close attention as we do read through it the first time. We will be going back to some of these scriptures, but I I just want you to remember the story and God to get our minds thinking in the right direction. Job chapter number one. The Bible said there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For he said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Doctrinal truth, Satan is not cast completely out of the third heaven yet. In the book of Revelation, we find where he actually is, and he can move in and out of the first, second, third heaven, just a doctrinal truth. I just was teaching on Satan and all the angels and archangels and all of that just recently, and we just revisited some of this. The Bible said, and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Now, as we get into this, first of all, let me just stop because I, I don't want to miss this. And I want you to miss this. That obviously the Father is active there and the Father is active in our lives. And we are pictured in Job. See, oh man, I, I wish I feared God and eschewed evil. Well, uh, certainly we ought to. Amen. And we, see, we do see ourselves in the fact that Job was just supremely blessed. And if nothing else, you need to realize how supremely blessed you are. So this is a, a picture. We're going to see some principles and truths in life of Job. And these are to be applied to our lives. And so picture yourself in the place of Job tonight, please. Hast thou not made a hedge about him? He said, and about his house, verse 10, and about all that he hath on every side, thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand, So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. There was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. 
And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away, yea, and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then the Bible said, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. I want you to realize also as we look at the, the servants here, when you have a man that is of the, the character level and, and caliber of Job, if we could put it that way, his servants were treated in a very godly Christian fashion because of who Job was. And, and as much as he loved God and feared God. And so he's not just losing servants, but he's losing friends. He's losing people that he cares about. So this is a great loss. Notice, if you would, the Bible said in verse 18, While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young man, and they are, they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And Satan said, uh, and the Lord said unto Satan, Now you say, this sounds like a repeat. And it is a reminder of the relentless attacks of the devil. So he's going to come and you're going to win some battles, but he wants to, he still thinks he can win the war in your life. So he comes again. The Bible said, The Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, and one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse thee to thy face." Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot under, under his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? Shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came everyone from his own place, Eliaphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. When he li they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voices and wept, and they rent everyone his mantle, sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven, so they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights. None spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Go back to chapter 1 and we'll have a word of prayer and we'll jump in tonight. Father, please lead and guide and direct in the message tonight. 
may you get the glory. The stage has been set. The people are here. Father, we know that you are here. The song has already led right into the message. We ask you, Father, please, to help us to be very submissive to your spirit tonight. And I pray, God, again, you'd bind devils and distractions away from this place. Give us exactly what we need in our hearts. We believe you have so far, but finish the work in us this day. And, Father, may it make an eternal difference in our lives. Please, Lord, teach us and instruct us as dear children at your feet tonight. And you get all the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the devil in chapter 1 and verse number 9 has an accusation against Job. And he is constantly going to be accusing uh, us before God. And, uh, you know, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He, he has so many tactics, and I don't want to get into all of them, but he accuses us one to another. He accuses God before us. He says, hey, if God loves you, then why? And I thought if you were a Christian, God would bless you, but now you have this. And, and he tries to uh, castigate God in our mind and our hearts and to make us to look upon God differently. And then, of course, he uh, does accuse us before God. The difference in all of that is we tend to listen to the devil. There's times we believe his lies. There's, there's times he can convince us that if God really loved us, then this would be different. And if God really was keeping his promises, then why do we have so much trouble? And he, he, he's able to get us to believe sometimes. But let me just remind you that the accuser of the brethren, he accuses us before the throne of God day and night. Revelation chapter 12 is very clear about that. God has never one time listened to him. God has never said, you're right, I am going to cast them into hell. Look at the way they're living. You're right about that, devil. devil goes before God and says, hey, if they're saved, man, look at them now. We'll see what they're doing now. God, hey, check him out over there. But God never listens, not one time. But the devil continues. He always has and he always will to the very end accuse us before the throne of God day and night. And in chapter number one, he accuses a great man. Now, this is not my opinion. This is not that those that lived around him believed that only. They did believe it, but the fact was God said he absolutely was the greatest of all the men of the East. That wasn't just their opinion was he feared God. He absolutely feared God. It wasn't like Job appears to eschew evil. He hated evil. He clung to God with all of his heart. So this was a genuine servant of God. And the devil's idea is, I'm going to go after the genuine servant of God. If I can knock this one domino down, yet another will fall and another and the whole kingdom will fall. He is looking for those who are the chiefest of servants. If you aspire to be a servant of God and fear God and love God, mark it down. You're getting on the radar screen of the devil and he is going to accuse you and attack you. Let me say that he was accusing, notice if you were verse number 9, accusing Job specifically, listen, of serving God simply because of the blessings and the benefits. Notice verse number 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? What he's saying was this. You only think Job would serve you if you gave him zero? Not is another word for emptiness or, or nothingness or zero. And he's saying, does Job fear you for nothing? See, Job only serves you because of the benefits. And let me just remind you, there are benefits to being saved by the grace of God. Amen? 
I woke up this morning, spent no money on liquor last night. It was still my wallet, amen? My head wasn't pounding. I didn't have to wonder what I did the night before. There were times in my heathen upbringing as a lost Catholic drunkard dope head, I'd wake up looking through the jail bars at a mother weeping and saying, Ted, when are you going to get saved? When are you going to give your life to God? I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of good living, amen, without regrets when you're saved by the grace of God. There's a blessing of seeing your children go forth in the plan of God. There's blessings financially. There's blessings physically. There's blessings spiritually. There's joy unspeakable and full of glory. There are benefits to serving God. But be careful you don't just serve Him and keep serving Him because of the benefits. This was the attack of the devil. Uh, see, my friend Satan was saying, Hey, God, Job doesn't serve you because you're good. Job doesn't serve you. You think you're worthy, but he doesn't serve you because you're worthy of glory or because you're an awesome God. He's only serving you because of all the goodies that you give him. And I'll prove it to you, God. Just, just do this. Take away all the goodies, and then we'll see if Job really loves you. Really, it's an attack upon the very character and person and loveliness and beauty of God Almighty. And it's also an attack and a lie about his servant Job. Job only serves you because of the benefits. Take away all of the goodies. You see, and before you start bragging, may I say, so let me ask you this question. Would you serve God for naught? See, my friend, the question was, would Job serve God for zero? And the application is, would you and I serve God for zero. And before you start beating your chest, let me just remind you, it's not easy to serve God for zero. All of us are getting some kind of a blessing. The spout is always pouring out God's blessings and His goodness and His kindness and His glory upon us, my friend. And listen, it's not easy to serve God for zero. We're going to consider this question, would you and I serve God for zero? Would you and I truly serve God for naught? We're going to consider this question, but first I want to examine tonight Satan's devices. I think it would be important for us to start here. I've got a billion things I want to say, so I'm going to have to hurry tonight. But let me just remind you of what Satan was trying to accomplish before I get to the actual point tonight of the message. First of all, I want to notate that he wanted to destroy Job's testimony. And he is after your testimony. I can't tell you the times that were very clear that God spoke to my heart and said, that was all about your testimony and your posterity. And all the people that got saved under your ministry, all the people that look up to you, there were clear times. I'm thinking of a time right now when I was in a church in Michigan. Now, never will forget, I was there in that church and, and I was giving the invitation and I walked to the back of the church and there was a lady in a side room and we'd been dealing with people that week about salvation and she said hey preacher come here I want to talk to you I'd left the invitation with the pastor there's two double doors kind of like this church and then it was uh, classrooms all the way back and as I turned to go in that room I noticed that the light was off and it was just like in a second and the Holy Ghost put a wall up and said don't go in there I began to notice within another half a second this was a woman of ill repute that I wouldn't trust her as far as I could throw her and I could tell that she had serious spiritual problems and as I was going to walk towards that room the the Holy Spirit threw a wall up and I looked in and she said, hey preacher, come here, I want to talk to you. The light was off in the room and I was just, man, I just freaked out and, and she said, hey preacher, come here, I want to talk to you. And I said, okay, hold on a second. I turned around and I yelled from this distance to those doors all the way down another section and yelled to my wife who was about in the third row in a church full of people, said, hey Jody, somebody wants to talk to us. The entire church shocked and looked back and my wife looked at me with that look. If you don't know what that look is, you ain't been married very long 
tongue, amen. I'm going to kill you later. I can't believe you did that. She comes scurrying back. I turn around. All of a sudden, that woman just went up through the crowd and disappeared. And it was like, God, see, had I gone in there and thinking, I don't, you know, my, my can't find my contact. I just want to talk to you, whatever it might have been. And people would have came out and saw me in a room with a light up with another woman. I, I, even if she had good intentions, I'm just saying there have been times like that when the Lord said, Ted, you did the right thing. His Holy Spirit saved me from destruction. He has been after your testimony and my testimony since the very day that we got saved by the grace of God. Especially when you're in the public eye, when you're a minister of the gospel. He knows that if he can destroy you and mess your testimony up, everyone that listened to you and everyone that said hey this guy helped me in the ministry and this guy helped me to get saved all of their uh, Christianity is in jeopardy and they get disillusioned people quit God and leave church over stuff like that he is after your testimony as well Job's testimony was a threat to Satan because the realness of Job declared there is a God in heaven who is worth serving regardless of what everybody else is doing. Amen? I think about Noah, the same thing. Here's eight people going one direction and the whole rest of the world is marching 180 degrees the other direction. Noah's testimony was there's a God in heaven. I'm on a, I'm on a mission, amen, from out of this world. Nobody may understand it, but I'm going to follow it as the sister saying to completion I'm going to follow him all the way he was known as the greatest man of the east I think about a man named John Corbley last year we had the privilege of conducting another Baptist history tour and we're in western Pennsylvania very much a hero of the faith is buried there that is very unknown his name is John Corbley he was one of the 45 Baptist ministers in prison in Virginia just for preaching the gospel contrary to the Anglican State Church. In fact, the video pastor that you'll be giving out to the visiting preachers, uh, John Corbley's life is talked about, I believe, on that video. But John Corbley uh, went up into Pennsylvania. The Whiskey Rebellion was going on and all of those things during that time, late 1700s and into the 1800s. And he went up into western Pennsylvania, south of Pittsburgh, absolutely in the middle of nowhere in between Morgantown, West Virginia and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, there in the hills of Pennsylvania near a place called Gerard's Fort. And as he was going, he was a church planter. And as he was going out to church one day, there's this beautiful meadow and there's a monument there now. But John Corbley was walking behind and going over his message and he straggled behind his family and the savage Indians came out of the woods that day and they buried a tomahawk in his boy's skull. They scalped his wife and killed her right there in the spot. They massacred his entire family. Only one of his girls was able to live in that entire massacre. He heard the shrill screams and ran up and saw his family butchered to pieces all over the meadow. People began to wonder and they began to watch. How will he respond? What a horrific thing. There's his family. He's serving God. He's walking to church. He's starting churches. I wonder how he'll respond to this. Do you know how he responded to it? He went on and got remarried after a little while and continued to serve God and planted 30 Baptist churches all throughout western Pennsylvania into West Virginia and he finished his course as one of the men that went through the greatest persecution and the greatest trials and yet undauntingly persevered in the grace of God and accomplished great things. What a testimony. See, Satan wants you to fall, so everyone watching you will also fall. So when adversity comes, guard your testimony. <clears throat> By the way, there's a little side issue. John Corbley's self-written epitaph, this is what I'd like to have on my tombstone. O death, thou hast conquered me. 
I by thy dart am slain, but Jesus Christ shall conquer thee, and I shall rise again. What a testimony of somebody who said, nothing is going to stop me. I'm living my life for the glory of God. Listen, the devil was after Job because he wanted to destroy his testimony. Secondly and quickly, Satan tempts us to quit serving because the road is difficult. These are his tactics. He wants your testimony. He wants to throw some difficulty your way to try to stop you from serving God. Job 1 and verse number 9. He said that Job feared God for naught. He's saying, Job only serves when it's easy. Make it difficult and see if he keeps serving. Can I encourage you? Don't quit when the times get tough. Don't set limitations as to how much you will endure. I've studied Martyology for the past 20 plus years of my life. And I find that you and I know absolutely nothing. We can barely spell Martyology. We know nothing about persecution. We have suffered absolutely zero in reference to multitudes of our Baptist forefathers who had hot metal poured down their throats and their guts ripped out and were cut to pieces and watched their families raped and pillaged and cut and butchered literally into little bits in front of their eyes and continued to serve God. Don't you dare quit when times get tough. Do we not accept good from the Lord and also testing and trials from the Lord as well? Let me tell you an amazing story of a man who would not quit. His name is Isaac McCoy. Sadly, Isaac McCoy is largely unknown even to the Baptist world. He was no doubt the greatest Indian missionary that we know of that ever lived. He was a Baptist minister. He started his ministry on the Wabash River in the state of Indiana. And it was nothing but difficulty from the very beginning in rural uh, Indiana. He went to Fort Wayne, long story short, after the first Baptist mission in all of America was started there to the Indians. But he went to Fort Wayne, Indiana. And as he traveled to Fort Wayne, every single mile they were under threat of death from savage Indians. They got to Fort Wayne. He started the first school and the first church of any kind there in Fort Wayne. He began to minister to Indians in the surrounding areas. And at, before we knew it, he had 62 Indians living with him inside of his crammed little shack. They ate at his table. He fed them. He clothed them. He taught them English. He taught them Christianity. He saw them get saved. He saw them get baptized. And there was so there was such poverty at that time. And the Indians were being given fire water uh, by the American government. The money they gave them, they drank it up. He said you could hear people getting murdered and screaming shrill screams in the midst of the night all around where he lived. The Indians were killing their husbands and killing their wives because of all of this. He had as many as 13 Indians begging at his door every single day for food when there was nothing more than parched corn a little portion to give all 62 of those young people he would go on long journeys and he would travel he would travel on horseback on one particular occasion he went he was gone for five months trying to get supplies just so they'd have something to eat he went into the state of Ohio things like this would happen to him He'd tie his horses up at night. They'd boondoggle their legs together. And sometimes they had to tie the front legs together and the back legs together to get them from running off in the midst of the night. It would get bitterly cold and the snow and the sleet would pound and pelt them. He woke up, he said, one morning and the horses were gone. Listen to me carefully. He spent three solid days in the wilderness just finding the horses again. Then it took another two days to find his way back to the trail. By now they were completely out of 
food. They were literally stopping and begging for turtle eggs from the Indians, which were the most disgusting thing he said he ever put in his mouth, but he had to live. They would get down on their faces and break the ice on mud puddles and drink the water out of the mud puddles. After this one particular trip, five months later, saying constantly that his wife said she was almost dead for sore eyes, looking out every day, when will he come back? When will the supplies come? When will my husband come? Constantly under threat of killing, getting killed. <clears throat> Finally, he gets all the way back to Niles, Michigan, and he gets to the river 10 miles from home after five months of being gone and accidentally dumps the entire wagon load of everything he collected accidentally into the river. They swam and they risked their lives trying to drag stuff to the shore. They gathered about a third of it, most of it ruined from the wet and, and just being strewn about in the river. He said, I sat down on the side of the shore and I wept and I said, this is just a terrible day. He gets home to his wife who expects this massive load of supplies and he has to very hastily go back out and try to find supplies. I'm talking about, folks, the fact that we have people in our history that believe the same thing that we do, that we're willing to persevere no matter what was thrown at them. Listen to me. This man took 13 trips over and over and over on horseback from wherever he was at in the Midwest to Washington, D.C. to persuade the House and Senate for a plan of colonizing the Indians, which all ultimately would save them from certain extinction. Listen to me carefully. Uh, he started 13 churches from Indiana westward. By the way, don't bring up David Brainerd who never started a single church, had very few converts, and had a very short-lived ministry. This man uh, amazingly did much, much more than David Brainerd ever dreamed about doing, but all we've ever heard about is Brainerd, Brainerd, Brainerd. We've never heard anything about this man, Isaac McCoy. Did you know the First Baptist Church in Kansas is about 25 miles north of here? and it is credited to Isaac McCoy for starting that. The Shawnee Mission was started by him in Topeka, Kansas. If you go, just drive right there to Topeka, go to the State Museum, and the first building you see on the right was a mission where they trained those kids. That's all because of Isaac McCoy. The Oklahoma Territory, drive Route 44 and head over into Oklahoma. I believe it's the first exit. Get off there at the rest area, and there's a sign, Oklahoma Territory, started by missionary Isaac McCoy. What are you trying to say? Don't quit when the road gets rough. I'm thinking about McCoy and I think about all that he had to go through and yet he continued on just like Job. You know, people in the 1800s can do it. People in the 2000s can do it. Amen? People in the 17th century can do it. People in the 21st century can live for God as well. Let me give you another thought. Satan wants to take you so far into the world of discouragement. Don't discredit this that you will curse God. I preach, I could never curse God. You know, the devil tries hard to get you to curse God. You realize this is the ultimate plan. And if it didn't work, he would try other tactics. It works. And it works a lot. How many know somebody used to sit and say amen? Now they're cursing God. How many used to see people post verses on Facebook? Now they've got such vulgar things you can't even be connected with them on Facebook. People that used to love God and now they're trying to destroy their parents' life, destroy their preacher's life, destroy their church, and they're out marching in the sodomite movement. I'm saying, folks, if it didn't work, he wouldn't be doing it. He was doing it way back yonder, but he's going to try to do it with you and I. Get you to curse God. So how do you know that? Chapter 1, verse 11. But put forth thine hand now. Touch all that he hath. He says, here's my goal. He'll curse thee to thy face. This is his uh, intention. Chapter 2, verse 4. 
Flip over there real quickly. Again, the Bible said, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, that a man hath will to give for his life. But pour forth thine hand now and touch his bone, his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. It's reiterated that his main goal was to try to get Job to not glorify God, but rather to curse. See, his goal is not just get you to skip church. Skipping church is the road to cursing God. It's not just get you to look at a little porn. It's not just to you know, get you to flirt with this guy at work or to listen to this lady at work. The ultimate goal is to get you and I to curse God, and it does work. And we better beware. We better get off the pedestal of pride. We better stop saying, no, not me. I'm telling you, I know of a guy named Peter that used to say, I would never curse God. And the Bible shows us where he cursed God. Man, if he'd have wept before that instead of after that, maybe things would have been different. We better humble ourselves tonight and realize many are cursing God. And you could be next. If you're not careful, don't you play with sin. So listen, will you serve God for nothing? I want to get to the message tonight. What does this mean? It means this. What was the devil actually saying? Will Job serve God for zero? Will you serve God for zero? I believe what he really meant was this. Do you think Job will serve you if he's all alone? Isn't it great to come to church with people? Amen. Isn't it great to get in the car and there's other people in the car? Isn't it great to come to the house of God and you're serving God and others are serving God? What about if you end up all alone. Will you still get up? Will you get up excited? Will you still put your clothes on? Will you still come to the house of God? Will you brush your teeth and comb your hair and grab your Bible and be prayed up and continue to serve God even if you're all alone? We need to commit tonight to that tonight. I thought about the song that was being sung that I would go with him all the way. And I want to say that many are tempted. They've lost their spouse. They haven't found a decent godly spouse, which is not unusual in these ungodly dark days. But I want to encourage you. You have to commit to God today. Don't figure it out down the road. Settle it right now. Settle it every day. Settle every chance you get. Settle every time you hear a message like this, that you will finish your course by the grace of God and ask Him for help to do that. Job lost his crops. You can replace crops. Job lost his animals. You can replace animals. Then Job lost his children. I remember about four years ago, my daughter Glory, we got a call one night. I was in Aberdeen, North Carolina, and I stepped off the platform, and my wife said, we got a call. Glory got rushed into the hospital. She was six months pregnant. It was going to be my first grandbaby. And I remember when they told me that she was getting rushed to the hospital, and she was bleeding, that we had problems. And if you haven't gone through this, you have no idea how riveting this is. I had to drive to where my bus was. I had my bus parked centrally, and I was preaching in different churches for revival meetings, and I had to drive about 40 minutes. By the time I got back to my bus, we got inside, and my wife got the second call that the baby had died. And they gave birth. She gave birth to the baby, and the baby was just about that big right there. And they worked on it for 20 minutes. And I'm just telling you, I went out in the parking lot and I howled like a dog. I got all my hands and knees. And I was just broken, not for myself, but for them. My poor, precious little sweetheart, the greatest girl you ever met in your life, never gave us an ounce of trouble. Man, she'd keep the other kids in line. She was always baptizing her sisters in the bathtub, amen. Just love God, you'd catch her praying. 
And she'd be given the last bit of money she had to a missionary. And I got on my hands and knees. I was just broken. My wife and I cried all night holding each other in that bed. Threw stuff in a bag. About 6 o'clock in the morning we got on the road. We drove 25 hours straight through all the way to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Long story short, I was a lot of things I could tell you about that, but when we got there, <clears throat> about two hours before we got there, it got worse because they had my daughter almost sedated. They, they had her heavily drugged, just everything she had gone through and everything. And the baby, they left in a little basket right next to her, and she didn't know that the baby was dead. And we're two hours away, and we'd driven 25 hours, and she was saying things like, oh, look at his little chin, looks just like his daddy's. And our hearts were just ripped out of our chest as we're driving. Our little girl thinks her baby's alive. And finally they came in, and the mother-in-law, my son-in-law's mama, she texted my wife, and she said, it's okay. They came to get the baby, and they held it up for her, and she kissed all over his little face and said goodbye. And then they took the baby out. And she understands that he's passed away now. Preacher, we got there and, you know, I know that some of you know this, but some of you really need to hear this tonight. When you go to somebody's bedside like that, all they want is for you to hold them. Don't tell them your stupid stories and all you've gone through. That doesn't matter. They just need you to hold them and tell them it's going to be okay and that God loves them and, and that you love them. And that's all they need. And we just, just held them and held them and, Got through it all, and of course, preacher, I was waiting. I wanted, I wanted to see if my daughter, how she was going to respond. And I, you worry, is my, is my son-in-law just going to hate God through this? I mean, here's a little dead baby, and, and why did this happen? And I was waiting and waiting. And so finally went to the funeral home, and I had no intention on telling you this tonight. But, but, but when you pick out them little plastic tubs, is what you put them little babies in. And we had to go pick it out, and... About then, God started ministering His grace to us. Little old lady walked in there from the UP, and she's just a roly-poly little 55-year-old lady, and she walked there, and she's, it's going to be okay. And You just ever get around somebody, and all of a sudden, their calming spirit just is contagious. And it just flooded the room. We sat down in there, and she's just so sweet. I don't, I'm, she, I don't even think she was saved. She just had a calming spirit about her. She came in there and told us, and and my wife and I, our biggest heartbreak was they took the baby right before we got there and we'll never see this little boy that we had looked so far to and bought clothes for and we're never going to see him to heaven. And we sat there in the funeral home and I said, what did he look like? And she said, well, he looked good and he's, he's in the room right here. And I said, wait a minute, he's here? I, I didn't know what they did if they took him to the mortuary or and she said, yeah, they don't embalm these little babies. Their veins are too small. She said, I looked at him a little while ago. He's just a little bit darker, but he's good. And I said, do you think me and my wife could see him? And she said, let me go ask my boss. And so she said, yeah, you can see him. I called my wife, and she made 40 minutes in about 20. <laughs> and they put us in a little conference room and closed the door. We got to hold that baby. <laughs> that was the most glorious thing. It's such a blessing from the Lord. We took pictures with them, and it was really what we needed. And then the last part was when we did the funeral, it was just the pastor and our families, just 10 people. 
And when he stood at the front, we all gathered around and held hands. And he said a few words, and, and then everybody started to testify. And I just had to say something about how good God was that we got to be able to hold him. And, and then it came to my daughter. And you know how when somebody's giving a testimony and you know they, they start, but they pause, and everybody's waiting and her lips quivering. And I'm just waiting for her to say something. And she said, I'm just thankful that God took him to a better place. And I mean, it just flooded my heart with joy that my daughter was saying, the Lord gave him, the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then my quiet son-in-law, you never know what he's thinking. He's got such a mechanical mind and he's just always, his mind's always going. You never know what he's really feeling. Then he testified the same exact thing. And Brother Stewart, I'm telling you, we left there and, and I'm telling you, on the way up, it was like death. And on the way back down, it was like, it's going to be okay. Will you serve God if you're all alone? What if you lose your spouse? What if you would lose your family in a fiery crash? What if God would take away everything and you would find yourself all alone? I really believe that this is what Job was, uh, what the devil was trying to do in Job's life. I, uh, listen, strengthen your faith. Your family could be riding on it someday. Strengthen your faith. Your family could be riding on it. I, I think of a lady in North Carolina. I'll never forget the first time we met her. We went there to preach a revival, and she was a lady that would get up and testify. Every chance there was testimonies that week, she would testify about how good God's been to her and how good the Lord provided groceries for her and took care of her children. And we're thinking, man, this woman, God has just blessed her and blessed her. Maybe her husband's at work. And then we found out after the revival meeting, this is a lady and I left there. My, me and my wife said, she's got about the sweetest spirit I've ever seen. Her husband was killed on a motorcycle accident six months before that. And she had warned him and warned him and didn't like him riding a motorcycle. And he lost his life. And when we saw her, her testimony was just so awesome and so vibrant. You know what she was saying? I am willing to serve God if it's all alone. Some of you are waiting on a spouse. Some of you are waiting and waiting and waiting. You say, man, I just don't understand it. Are you willing to serve God and truly wait on Him till the blessings of God come in your life? Are you willing to serve Him all of your life? If God has taken your spouse, please don't turn out into the world, but continue to serve Him alone. I believe the devil was saying, you really think Job would serve you if you take away his family? And then secondly, I believe he was saying this, do you think Job will serve you if you're silent? Let me ask you a question. Will you serve God if he's silent? What do I mean by that? <clears throat> Take your Bible and turn to chapter 38 with me. Go to chapter number 38 with me. I am getting into a little bit of a scary area for me because it's in the realm of trying to understand God in areas the Bible just doesn't really speak very specifically about. Like, why is it that sometimes God seemingly withdraws His presence when you know you're saved? Why is it when sometimes you pray, it doesn't seem like God is there? Why is it there's a lot of days we're doing all the right things, and even weeks and months, and sometimes years, and it just doesn't feel like the Spirit of God is at work in our lives? After chapter 2, look at chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now why does it say then? Because after chapter 2, 
God puts, listen to me, puts Job into the worst trial imaginable in so much that it was so great that he made a story of it in the Bible for multitudes of chapters so that we would never forget this trial and how great it was. He throws Job in the midst of it and then stands back and says absolutely nothing. For 38 long chapters, no one will know till we get to heaven how long of a time frame this covered. But Job was in the midst of the greatest loss. Listen, not only did he lose his crops and his children and, and his lands and his servants, but now he has these grievous boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. They're pussing and they're oozing. And no doubt he's thinking, I'm not long for this world. Now the devil's come for my life. I've lost everything else and now I'm leaving. That kind of trial. And then the Lord stands back and says absolutely nothing. Mark it down. One of the hardest times to serve God is when it seems as though he is not there at all. Do you know what I've discovered through wisdom and time and serving God? Trying to be observant. I found that sometimes when God is silent, he is simply observing the heart. You are in the test and he is the teacher. You are there where God wants you to be and He is proving you. He is making you. He is molding you. He is increasing your faith. He's shaping you on the potter's wheel through those fires so that you will be a vessel fit for the Master's use and prepared on every good work down the road. And everything He's doing today is in light of what He's going to use you to do tomorrow. Sometimes God is silent. But notice Job's response specifically. And this is where I want to focus tonight and close with. So please don't miss this. I said everything I said to bring you to this place. I want you to notice Job's response. Go back to Job chapter 1 with me. Please focus and don't let the devil steal your attention at this point in the message. But I want you to notice not just Job's response. Through trials, but I want you to notice his progression in his response, or the progression in his response. Notice, first of all, that there's an immediate emotional response. I shared my story with you. Some of you have similar stories, or worse. Maybe you've lost two of your loved ones at the same time, or something like that. But there's always an emotional response, and that's normal. The physiology of man and women is it's made up by God. He gave us tears. He gave us a, a, you know, the ability to weep and to, and to feel pain in our gut and the pit of our stomach and to, and to just howl and to weep like babies at times. And I want to say that when something like this happens, that is normal. And don't oppress that. And don't you suppress it. Don't you tell somebody in their family they can't mourn. Don't you tell somebody in their family, just stop the crying, get over it. Sometimes it is a very long process. I'm dealing with a young lady, my very own daughter, who is in that process right now. We have to be very careful to let God bring the grace when needed, but give her as much time and space as necessary to get through her trial. But notice the emotional response. Chapter 1, verse number 20. The Bible said, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. So he rips things off and he shaves his head and he falls on the ground. This is normal. But now I want to show you not the emotional response. Pay close attention tonight. But the spiritual response. Job chapter 1. Notice verse number 21. The Bible said and said, Naked came out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of 
of the Lord. Notice, if you would, chapter 2 and verse 8. The Bible said, And he took himself a potsherd to scrape himself with all. Now watch this. And he sat down among the ashes. Now, there's been a lot of discussion, and I've read a multitude of different commentators and scholars and just preachers on the subject of, you know, the question, what are these ashes? He sat down in the ashes. What do you do, make a pile of ashes? And Well, I'm from the coal region. I know a little bit about ashes. I grew up, and, you know, before we'd go to bed, we'd have to, if it was in the winter, you'd have to dry the coal. You would take and lay down news, old newspapers in the coal shanty room. You'd take it out of where the holding room was, and you'd sprinkle it around and have to dry in there. Then you have to scoop it all up and put in a big 55-gallon drum. And there was a worm that pulled the coal in and heated that. And then there was big galvanized tubs. I'm sure you've seen them. And, and they'd fill up with the ashes. And I'd get called on at 3 o'clock in the morning, Ted, the ashes are full. And it wasn't like today's, well, I'm sorry, Dad, I'm in the middle of a game. My head would have been laying over in the corner of the room. Okay, Dad. I mean, you better make some noise like now to let him know you are getting up or he's coming in. And you had like a minute to get downstairs and your boots were untied. And that was just a fact. I'm just telling you old school. We'd take out those galvanized tubs, still sometimes hot coals on the top, and stack them on a, on a cart. And we'd cart them, little old kid, man, cart them down the yard with a foot of snow. Bloom, you'd dump them on the side. I mean, have to scoop them up in the middle of the night. But we dumped them down the bank at the end of our yard down on the side of the hill. And they'd come around from the township. And they'd pick up those massive piles of ashes and they sprinkled cinders on the road. And that was before they had all the salt and all that. They'd, they'd just sprinkle all the coal cinders on the road from the ashes. And that would give you grip in the middle of the winter. And everybody had these massive piles of ashes. My point is this. They'd bring it in in five-ton trucks and dump five tons of coal down the chute. And listen, we would burn and burn and burn. And wherever there's a pile of ashes, you must have burned a lot of stuff. Simple principle. There has to be ashes, and if there's ashes, there had to be a lot of stuff that was burnt. So now Job, in his response, notice again with me very quickly, the Bible says here in verse number 8 of chapter number 2, and he took him a potter to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Now there's more than one pile of ashes. He must have been burning a lot of stuff. So where was it that Job was sitting in the ashes? Go back to chapter 1 with me. And notice verse number 5. The Bible said, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, probably not 3 a.m., amen, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. That's ten children. Ten offerings. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually... Ten offerings, and ten more, and ten more, and a hundred more, and a thousand more, and this man that lived for God his whole life, now he's got all of these massive piles of ashes, and when the bottom falls out in his life, listen to me carefully, and when the bottom falls out in your life, and there's nothing else that it seems that you can do, and nowhere else that you can turn, and there's no answer from God, and he seems to be silent, Job went to the place of sacrifice. He went to the place where he had met God a thousand times before, and God called 
overcome this heart and maybe he didn't get the answer but he got the bomb that God had for him and maybe he didn't understand anymore but just being in God's presence got him through but he went there to that place and he said Lord I'm going to come the place I've met you a thousand times before I may not understand it I may not think I deserve it Lord I don't always get what you're doing but I'm going to go to this place of sacrifice I'm going to go to the altar I'm going to lay here God and stay among the ashes until you show up and help me again I don't know where you're at in your life but when there's nothing else you can do and if God sees fit to allow you to go through one of these trials and then steps back and you can't find answers and you can't even find God there's always one more thing that you can do and it's a thing that ought to be ejaculatory it ought to be natural for the believer in the spirit to run to the altar and to bury your face in a carpet and stay there and sometimes you can't say anything sometimes you don't need to say anything just lay in the presence of God and murmur to him and call out for his help and ask God for his grace this is not natural fleshly response this is a supernatural spiritual response you ever been in a service and God touched your heart and no one had to say let's all stand and have an invitation I was in a service in Virginia one time and I said let's stand to our feet and it was like someone took the back of the building and jerked it and the entire place like a sea started charging I thought they was going to kill me the whole entire church came nobody had to coach them something happened in their heart something was going on in their life they said I've got to get to God church we're in for a rough ride no we're in for a rough ride you think it's bad now In five years' time, the Sodomites have come out of the closet. They've pushed us in the closet. Now they've got the trans dancers and stuff and have little kids coming tucking dollar bills in in men's G-strings. I'm not trying to be vulgar. I'm telling you, brother, this country's in trouble. This country's lost its bearings. We are off the rails. We are heading. I get we're not going to be here for the great Jewish tribulation period. But buddy, in this world, you shall have tribulation. And if Jesus don't come soon, you better buckle up and you better determine tonight, no matter what happens, I'm going to run to the altar and cling to my God, grab a hold of the horns of the altar, and never let go. And do like our sister sang, I will serve you to the end. Oftentimes counsel kids. A girl gets pregnant, she's 15, and she knew it was wrong, but they figured out what they believed, you know. You don't figure it out once you get in the back seat of a car. That's something you better determine on an altar when you're 10 years old and when you're 5 years old and your parents are teaching, your preacher's talking to you. And what I'm telling you is you better buckle. You talk about buckling up for this revival. You better buckle up because the devil is on the loose and he's trying to tear your family, our churches, and everything down to the ground. But you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to take a potsherd and scrape myself a all, And I'm just going to go fall down in the ashes because my God is bigger and greater than any forces against us today. And greater is he that is in us and he that is in the world. And our God is already triumphant. But my friend, we do not need our strength. We need his strength. Amen. I don't know what you're going through, but I just want to encourage you tonight. Go to the altar and stay until God says it's okay. Job chapter 19 and verse number 26. Let me read this to you in closing. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, 
yet in my flesh shall I see God. We need to spend our days broken on the altar of Almighty God. You know, a lot of churches have moved away from the altar. I think we ought to be moving closer to the altar. A lot of churches said, now just pray there in your heart. No, I think we ought to make a movement towards God. Pray, God Almighty, help me to serve you no matter what comes my way. Don't make the mistake tonight of saying, God, I promise you. But say, oh, God, help me. And if you don't know the heart cry and it's not real, oh, God. No, I mean really. When you realize that you are helpless and all you can cry is, oh, God. Oh, God, help me. We better get on this altar, folks. And we better live on this altar for the rest of our lives. I don't want to be a prophet preacher, but I'm telling you what, in five years, we not be able to travel from state to state. Say, you're crazy, preacher. Did you ever think we'd be seeing the mess where boys don't even know if they're boys? Do you know there's protests in Virginia right now where the kids are walking out by the tens of thousands out of their schools because the new governor in Virginia says that you cannot use the bathroom of the opposite sex and the locker room and the shower room of the opposite sex. You've got to use the one designated. Do you know they're walking out by the tens of thousands? These people have lost their minds and they are revolutionizing America right before us. We're going to live in a pagan land before before you know it trials and tribulations are going to be neck deep what are you going to do preacher well you'll find me on an altar somewhere i may be out in the woods somewhere under an old oak tree with three people trying to preach a word of god but you gonna find me on my face before god somewhere the lord's given lord take it away blessed be the name of the lord let me ask you tonight how long are you in this for well if it gets real rough if they come take my bible if they come knocking on the door they start, you know, California has a law they've been trying to pass for years that this is a hate book and make it illegal in the state. No word of a lie. How long do you think? See, we say, well, that would never happen. Didn't we say the stuff today would never happen five years ago? Didn't you say we'll never see that Jesus will come long before? Well, he was wrong before. What if Jesus don't come for a hundred years? We have no idea. What are you going to do, preacher? All I know to do is when I'm overwhelmed, leave me to the rock that is higher than I Live among the ashes. Our Father.